Let's take off, baby. Let's just drive, honey, into the night sky, to the sunset shine, into the day, baby. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. This is Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. There's a new old theater in Oscoda that will take you back to a day when going to the movies was something special and affordable. It's Michigan maple syrup time, and you have several places to see how the sweet treat is made. The events are heating up for another season at Lake Orion's Canterbury Village, and one of the finest art museums of its size in the entire country can be found in Muskegon. Permanent exhibits include the works of Hopper, Homer, and Chihuly. Travel Michigan next, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling. Welcome to Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan, and it sure is good to be back with you again this week. As we uh, start to think about this time of the year, here we are. Warm weather season is just ahead. It was a weird winter anyway. And here we are about to uh, come into spring. And this is that really interesting time when we have some really cool things to do inside and outside. And we're going to talk about some of those today. So get ready uh, for a good uh, conversation this next hour. Hope you can stick around for the entire time. We're going to start out uh, really going through many parts of the state of Michigan, and we're going to talk maple syrup and maple candy and sugar and all those things by bringing in Thomas Bardwell. He is the, uh, I, I don't know what your position is, uh, Thomas, with the Michigan Maple Syrup Association. I'm one of the board of directors. Board of directors. Very good. Yeah. And and so this is this is something I guess not unique to Michigan. In fact, there are a lot of people who probably think all maple syrup is made, you know, out east somewhere. But we make a lot of it, and um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Tell us about that whole process and why Michigan makes a lot of good maple syrup. Well, Michigan is uh, the fifth ranked in terms of maple syrup. Vermont, New York, Maine, Wisconsin are ahead of us. But um, it's often uh, mentioned, when uh, that's also mentioned, that uh, Michigan has three times more trees than the uh, Quebec or Vermont only tap 1%. So you can see the uh, the ideal state of Michigan. It just uh, has a lot of maples, but uh, not enough producers tapping trees. So <clears throat> that's how uh, um, we're ranked. And, uh, and in terms of the process, I mean, this is an ideal time of the year. It's when uh, the nights are freezing and there's warmer weather, the days are longer, and you look forward to the sunshine. And the freezing nights and the warm days um, – create pressure within a maple tree and that, that makes the sap run and once it starts running um, they say around uh, 15 gallons per tree of sap and of course it takes that uh, if you look at the sugar content of, of maple trees sugar maples are the most uh, um, have the highest sugar content so at two and a half percent sugar in sap it takes uh, 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup oh. And this is done uh, through evaporation. There's nothing added to the sap. It's just this process that goes through, and we evaporate. Uh, different evaporators can evaporate uh, different amounts of water. The one we have is about 80 gallons an hour. 
So we're pushing a lot of steam and a lot of water out of the syrup. And uh, once you get it going, uh, you just keep adding sap uh, as you draw off your syrup. And it's a continuous process until the end of the season. Well, in Michigan, is the production of maple syrup kind of a big business thing, or is it mostly small farms or um, you know, some kind of a community project? Uh, how does it work here? Well, it it's encompasses all those. There are very large producers, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 trees. Uh, not as much as out east, but a lot of these producers are, uh, or maple syrup uh, makers are, um, you know, from the family farms, from hobbyists. I mean, the Michigan Maple Syrup Association is comprised of all types of um, folks who make maple syrup, uh, some very large and some uh, medium, some rather small. So it's something that uh, once you get started, and as you know, um, it takes uh, a lot of time to make maple syrup, and you just it, you have to love maple to do it. So that's one of the uh, common traits that we all share when we make maple. We make it mainly the same way, but there are different ways, different processes to speed it up. But uh, the end result is uh, pure maple syrup. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of this production process, kind of the old-timey style, where they uh, tap the trees and they bring the buckets back and they put all that sap in a, in a big cauldron, so to speak, uh, over the fire and boil it down. It's pretty fascinating. And I know that the modern processors do a lot of other things. This is Maple Sugaring Month in Michigan, and, and I know a lot of people might have never seen how this process is done. How, how do we get out there to see how this is done? Well, it's going to be easy now because during the month of March, there's uh, two weekends and one in April uh, that we have our annual maple weekends, and that's where um, Family Family Farms, and there's 18 of them across Michigan now that uh, will be opening up on the weekend, uh, on usually a couple dates, and uh, they offer the tours, they offer the first-hand demonstrations of how surface made, and they have all kinds of demonstrations, such as tree tapping. Um, and of course, you can get the greatest part of that is maple syrup tasting. And the best mm. maple syrup is off the syrup pan and, and a lot of treats, including maple sugar and maple sugar candy. I was just going to say, uh, most people think of, you know, the, the whole syrup process, for, literally for, you know, like pancake syrup. But I have seen maple candies and uh, even maple sugar one time. So it's, it's out there. It is. We have fun making the, the aftermarket products uh, with maple. It's uh, ever-growing now, It's it's um, and certainly from the marketing side, um, people like uh, the, these types of products. But I want to mention that there's three times in Michigan. I just want to bring this up, uh, southern Michigan, northern Michigan, and the UP. And you can go to michiganmaple.org and get the details um, of the events, but that is really the best way to find out what's event is closest to you. Yeah, it's a great idea because I know these farms are all over the place. There were farmers markets, of course, that sell this wonderful product. And before there was pure Michigan, there was pure Michigan maple syrup and pure Michigan honey, by the way. It's not where we came up with the thought, but uh, it's really cool to realize that uh, because, man, oh, man, there's nothing like really homemade maple syrup from Michigan. You need to find out more by going to the website, Michigan Maple. Org, and our thanks to Thomas Bartlow for being with us today. We're going to head over to the Oscoda area next. We're going to check out a pretty cool theater here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org.
Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. As you travel around the state at this time of the year, you might be looking for a place maybe to head inside. You never know this time of year because, you know, it's not not really winter. It's not really spring sometimes. It's a little bit of both. And maybe you want to go to a place where you can kind of get away from it all. And at the same time, be reminded about what it was like years ago when you could go to a theater Really enjoy the time with friends and family and do it in an affordable fashion because, boy, it's expensive these days to, to go to the movies. We're going to head to Oscoda to find out about a really cool uh, theater. It's called the Lake Theater. It's been around for a while. Been around so long, theater is spelled with an R-E, and we're going to find all about that now by bringing in one of our friends, Jim Edelman. You know him uh, in combo with Tom Dalden. They have uh, guest hosted on this program from the Under the Radar TV show on PBS. But Jim and Teresa Edelman have an exciting project in Escoda. Jim, welcome to the program. That is the most amazing intro. I think you exceeded the uh, national level of intros <laughs> by 30 words. But, yeah, uh, well, at least yeah, by time. Is, it, <laughs> well, there's so many, so many things I can comment on in there, but I do uh, agree <laughs> with the fancy way of spelling theater, R-E. It sets us apart from... Everyone else. Isn't it true? Well, and, and that just tells you, it gives you a feeling how long that theater has been around. So first off, you're in Escoda. That's the, uh, yeah. you know, we call it the sunrise side of the state. And it, unfortunately, it's one of the least visited parts of the state, which is really shocking because it, it offers so much. And indeed, it, it uh, continues to offer a local theater experience. Tell us about the Lake Theater. Yeah, so it's been around since 1948 or 1952. We really can't find the paperwork that tells us exactly when. Wow. So we're going with 48. We're going with you know post-war construction in a military town. It's a it you know it's a, a wonderful old theater, 350 seats. Um, you know, a, a 27 foot wide screen that just it brings it to life. And you know, if we all were stuck inside like we were the last couple of years, we all got used to watching. TV on our TV or TV on our phones. And we got used to these smaller screens. But when you get into the theater again and you have surround sound and, and effects coming at you from all angles, you're reminded about what we like about theaters. And that's what my wife, Teresa, and I kind of made that move in June. And we feel like we saved the theater. I bet you did. I have no doubt you did. You know, these old theaters are, are just leaving our downtowns, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. really yeah. sad. But, I, but I, I know this, that 1948 or 52 design did not include uh, the type of sound system that you mentioned and probably the type of no. projector you're using today either. Correct, yeah. Sometime in the uh, mid-2000s, the studios decided to stop sending out film prints. So all these theaters had to go to a digital conversion, and projectors were running, you know, near a hundred thousand dollars. So we do thank the previous owner for going through that conversion, but that shut down a lot of theaters who couldn't afford to make that move. Um, so yeah, so digital projector, surround sound, audio uh, is all up to date in modern times, um, but in a uh, in a nice big room that sounds wonderful and warm. Yeah, I bet it does. Well, we've all seen the movies, you know, you know, of a of a movie set or something where you see those those old um, really cool projectors and those big reels of film. And right. now that it's gone digitized, was it at like a computer there? Or, uh, what does it what does it look like? And and how yeah. do you load they, that that film? 
basically uh we get a hard drive from the studios and we load it into a uh into a media server uh we create a playlist that has all the cues for volume and for lighting cues in the theater so it's really it's kind of like set it once and forget it and it runs through its playlist each uh, each showtime that you set up so it's uh it is much more operator friendly than the old days when the projector projectionist had to stay there with the projector and they, there was a, a toilet right there next to the projectors in case they, you know, needed to handle things. Wow. Wow, well, yeah, because yeah, they had the to be there. there. They, they couldn't just, just take off. Um, wow. Well, luckily, some of the conversion was for a good reason, so it's, it's good to see that. Correct, correct. Yeah, correct. So, so what is the experience like at the Lake Theater? Um, I'm imagining you probably still have a popcorn stand and all that? Yeah, concession stand. I mean, one of the great things about a small town is that um, we keep costs low. You know, you said it at the opening is that, you know, it's not cheap to go to the Rubies uh, if you're in, uh, you know, if you're in the great, in the Detroit area or elsewhere, you know, that could be a, a $60 night to go out to the mm-hmm. movies. Our, you know, our tickets are, are $6 for adults, $5 for children. Concession candy is two fifty a box. Um, if, you, if you're listening to this in 10 years from now, it might have gone up, but <laughs> for right now, you know, it's two fifty a box, and uh, you know, it, we definitely keep it uh, affordable. So, um, we're in this to make sure the theater stays in town. Well, and, and that's what our goal and, was. And I really do appreciate that. So, are these what do you call it? Second, third run films, or are these the no, new films? We're doing we're doing first run stuff. We just finished up Ant Man. Um, huh. We have eighty for Brady starting, and then you know, I mean, it's just in between some of those movies, we are fitting in classics. We've done The Wizard of Oz. We did a throwback to Rudy, the football movie. Um, you know, so we are definitely looking at how to be kind of a regional player instead of just uh, pulling from just who's in town here in Oscoda. Because people will drive to watch The Sound of Music. Or, or we did Grease with a sing-along version where you get to sing along to the words on the screen. That oh, was a wow. fun night. And you'd be encouraged yeah. to sing along instead of oh, like my yeah. wife who's singing in my ear in these movies all the time driving me crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That that's cool. That really sounds fun. Well, because of the age of this theater, you wouldn't have had uh, a theater older where an organ would have been there for the silent movies. But I still imagine that um, you know that building's pretty old. So, what's the structure like? If you had to put a lot of investment into it, we have a roof coming up, so there's uh, there's going to be a, a little bit of uh, savings uh, for that. Um, the structure itself is solid. Um, you know, it's, it's cinder block. It's a very fat cinder block, cinder block wall. Um, you know, so we've got it up, you know, we've got up to date, you know, furnace and air conditioning, um, you know, all the, all the basic stuff. Um, but you know, there is definitely some updating that needs to be done. It was, um, I don't want to say it was neglected because it just didn't need anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just one of those years as a box that played movies. And that's what, uh, we just want to make it you know, a little more colorful inside. Well, as uh, people come to Oscoda this coming season, uh, they now know they can head to the Lake Theater. It's downtown. Can you describe exactly where it is? Yeah, it's uh, it's on Dwight Street. So we're like a, a half block off of US 23, right when you get into downtown. We're kind of like what we're we're realizing is the entertainment district of Oscoda. Mm. There's two restaurants on our block. There's a uh, 
fantastic ice cream store and then there's a hallmark store there too so we're like uh we're entertainment district Hoskoda. well and i i know there's a holiday inn going in there i don't know if construction is. has started yet but uh yep they've got two floors up oh. and it, the, it will be open by uh july 1st is what we're hearing wow interesting. so very exciting right yeah. right uh downtown um and you know half block to the beach well, if you're looking for a place to stay, I know uh, Teresa Edelman, your wife, uh, is a proprietor just down the street at the My Tiki Resort. You want to just give a little yeah. plug for My Tiki? Yeah, My Tiki is uh, a uh, 23-room uh, lakefront, beachfront uh, resort. It has 10 condo rooms and uh, some colorful little cabins. Looks like you're in the Caribbean uh, with the sugar sand beaches that uh, Skoda has, so... Uh, and that's one of the wonderful things about the entire Oscoda area um, is that there are all these, you know, older uh, cabin resorts that are, kind of typify what vacations were like in the 40s and 50s. It's true. And these, and I think that's kind of what you alluded to the beginning, that it's, you know, less traveled, but a lot of these resorts survived. So if you want to remember what vacationing was like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, this is a great way to do it. Which, interestingly enough, always included a movie for my family in that little town. We'd go to Pentwater or Ludington way back then. So, Oscoda, it's where it's all happening. The Lake Theater, so much more. You're going to have to check it out for more information. Uh, just look on Facebook. Just look up Lake Theater Oscoda, and that's theater with an R-E. Our thanks to Jim Edelman, the uh, theater jockey for being with us today again on Facebook, Lake Theater, Oscoda. We're going to check out Canterbury Village next here on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Travel Michigan. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. You know, I travel all over the state. I do this, uh, you know, to, to attend meetings all over the place, but I'm a leisure traveler in Michigan as well. I mean, I get everywhere. My wife and I, we like to uh, go to new places often. And, and like a lot of people, we go to our, you know, our special favorite places as well, especially places where we like to go hiking and doing that. We can do that any time of the year, and it's, it's really a favorite thing for us to do. But we also really enjoy uh, places, you know, with real heritage and real history. And I'm a big fan of architecture. I love buildings that have been built with thought and real character. And you can find a lot of these places that, that offer a real story and have really interesting structures to look at and such all over the state. We're going to check out a place I will tell you, I've never been to. So I'm excited to learn more about this as well. We're going to go to Canterbury Village over in Lake Orion and to find out all about its history and what you can do today, let's bring in Keith Aldridge. Keith is owner of Canterbury Village. And Keith, I've been hearing about Canterbury Village for a long time, but it never really occurred to me, you know, what it what it is, what it was and what it is. So so let's let's get into that first. So welcome to the program. Good to have you with us. And can you give us a little a little taste of, of how Canterbury Village came to be? Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, yes, as you said, you like interesting architecture and, and architecture that's been thought out. Well, Canterbury is definitely one of those properties in, in uh, 
Michigan, what my dad did back in the 90s, he absolutely took a, uh, a rundown kind of barn farm type of property into uh, a beautiful English village setting. And uh, it's really, really cool. And I'm proud to carry on the uh, tradition today. Obviously, Canterbury over, over its history has uh, trans- uh, transformed many different ways. So back in the, uh, in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, when it was the Scripps Farm, was one of the largest uh, farms in in, uh, in Metro Detroit, and obviously Scripps was uh, a very very wealthy gentleman. His uh, uh, twenty thousand uh, square foot Tudor castle is mm. just down the street from from my property, which is now guest house um, owned by the Catholic Church. Wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, so then my dad, you know, obviously can't, uh, the uh, Wildwood Farm and the Scripps Farm, it went through a whole bunch of different changes in the 60s and 70s, and and then late 70s through the 80s, it was vacant, and uh, my father bought it in the, the early 90s and, uh, you know, brought everything back up to speed, uh, didn't tear down any of the old buildings, uh, you know, converted all the barns, all the old uh, living quarters, into really modern times and uh, did a fabulous job on it. Um, you know, my restaurant, I have a 30,000 square foot uh, castle restaurant, and it literally looks like a castle, and we call hmm. it Canterbury Castle. Oh, no. uh, it's, yeah, it's one of the nicest structures um, in, in Metro Detroit. I mean, you walk into the lobby, and it's like, oh, my God, uh, my dad hmm. bought the chandeliers from the Michigan uh, Theater. They hang from the ceilings in there. They're absolutely gorgeous pieces. The balusters were hand carved in France. I mean, it's it's really something to look at. And obviously, our brides that uh, get married at our castle really love the architecture. Well, I was just going to say, I would bet from how you're describing this, it sound like it sounds like it'd be a perfect place for a, like a really special event, like a wedding or some other you know family gathering. Um, just sounds you know perfect. So, was this originally built? back then kind of out of the downtown area uh, as a lot of wealthy people would have done they'd have been a little bit out of town or is it like in the neighborhood no this is so when scripps built this this was out in, the, in complete farm country you know he used to land his helicopter here and his uh, airplanes uh, some kings and queens have visited from uh, england here uh, amelia Earhart landed her plane at uh, at, at uh, the scripps farm um, I believe Mr. Scripps was the first uh, had the first helicopter in in the United States, and he wow. used to take it from 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 the Lake Orion property down to uh, his office in Detroit. Um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the history of that family, but I, I was told he really loved his aviation planes and helicopters and things of that nature. Uh, yeah, I you know of wealth back then might as well get places fast, and especially when you're kind of out in the country. So, how big uh, by uh, acres, for instance, is the uh, is the property? Well, today today it's only 21 acres, but back in the day it was uh, almost 4,000 acres. Wow! And and uh, he was very very well known for uh, uh, his Angus cattle and you know steaks and you know high end uh, beef mm. and things of that nature. Wow. And then um, uh, in the 70s, uh, a gentleman called Keatington bought it and tried to turn it into an antique village. Um, that survived for a few years. And then, as I said, it went uh, dormant in the late 70s, 80s. Uh, my father, Stan Aldridge, bought it in, in 1991 and really turned it into a, a mini Frankenbooth. I, I, uh, I just know. love that 
I love the fact that you've taken this this old property that might have just disappeared in time and turned it into kind of repurposed it into an event space. And and I know you have a bunch of events. We better. I, I mean, I would want to talk to you about history all day, but we better get to some of these events because because I know the, the Canterbury Extravaganza is the one I've heard about before. So that's in uh, early April, of course. Yeah, that coming up yes. with the first two weekends. Yeah, the first two weekends in April. So I bought the property from my father back in 2020, me and my wife did. And we've really done a tremendous transformation of what Canterbury was going from a Christmas destination to a family event center. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, coming up, Easter, our Easter egg drop is one of our bigger events at Canterbury. We'll probably do about 20,000, 30,000 people over the four days. And uh, you've never seen so many little kids get excited about uh, Easter eggs being dropped out of a helicopter with a bunny. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I suppose. It's, it's very different. I, I would guess your biggest event is maybe your medieval fest or, or not? Uh, actually, our biggest event is our Dynastrol. Huh. Um, you know, we put 30,000, 40,000 people through in a few days. And then our Taco Fest. Um, I don't know what it is with tacos and uh, people in Detroit, but they love Taco Fest is, is pretty big. And then and then uh, um, our holiday stroll and our Halloween stroll and then Medieval Fest. I mean, so our Medieval wow. Fest is in the top six. So, so and, and all of these kind of go from, from basically month to month. You have the extravaganza first two weekends in April. You have that dino stroll in May, a kind of mid to late May. Mm-hmm. The Medieval Fest is in June, the first couple of weekends, it looks like, in June. That Halloween stroll in October, almost all of October. And then mm-hmm. your holiday stroll uh, November 22nd through the 23rd of December. So you, you are packed with activities, but you still offer, like, uh, you know, space for, like, weddings and things like that? Yeah, we have a big, you know, we actually have, uh, we converted one of the barns uh, into a wedding chapel. So not only can you have your reception at Canterbury, but you can also have your ceremony. Uh, the grounds are great for pictures. And then almost every weekend, as you said, we have some kind of event. So when your guests, when, the, you know, the bridal parties are taking their pictures in, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, uh, the guests go around hmm. and we got Hippie Fest, Kids Fest, Mega Food Truck Rally, Harry Potter Days. Uh, we're doing a cosplay convention this year, which is <laughs> going to be really, really cool. So the guests really like that as well. So, you know, instead of just sitting around uh, waiting for the uh, reception to start, there's always kind of activities at Canterbury to do. And then obviously our our shop small, um, shop local, uh, you know, shop Canterbury slogans with all of our great small vendors here at Canterbury. It's, it's a lot of fun. The whole property has been converted into a family event center now. One thing that we are doing this fall that we are building new, uh, we're going to kind of do the Canterbury Castle barn barnyard, which is kind of a if for the your listeners who knows um, you know Blake's over in Armada, where the the families come out during the um, you know fall time and then they uh, have bounce houses and jumpy things to go go through, not only to enjoy the donut and ciders, but there's activities to do. We're going to build one of those this year, and we've already started on it, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, you know, to help our shopping traffic in uh, September, October, and early November. Wow, it's, it's really cool. And and now you mentioned that Taco Fest. When is that? Uh, Taco Fest is the last week in, in June. Um, it is uh, June 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Uh, we started this back in 2019. And um, 
literally on Saturday of 2019, I looked at my wife. I was like, hmm. oh, my God, there's no more. Parking. We, we ran out of parking spaces. And I'm like, <laughs> we've never seen that many people at Canterbury. I mean, it was wall to wall. It was crazy. And uh, it's really turned into one of our, our bigger events uh, in Metro Detroit and, and at Canterbury. It just sounds fantastic. Uh, it's just everything you're doing there just sounds so cool. Uh, I, I can't wait to check it out myself. Canterbury Village, uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary under this configuration and all the cool things that you're doing. So here's the website, canterburyvillage.com. You can find out more. I suspect you can bring groups, but make sure to check in advance uh, because it does sound like it'd be a really good thing for groups and families and all that, all these cool events. CanterburyVillage.com to find out more. And our thanks to Keith Aldrich for being with us today. You never know what you find. And I can't wait to find that myself. We're going to head to my hometown, Muskegon, to check out the Art Museum. Next on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at Michigan.org. I'm Dave Lorenz from Pure Michigan. I think I've mentioned this before on the program that at one time I wanted to be a professional artist. The, the challenge with that is I'm not very good at it. So, it, it, you know, I didn't think I'd really do well. Actually, I really, really do love painting and I still uh, pick up a brush every so often. But when I was a teenager, I grew up in the Muskegon area and in the summertime, I would go to this wonderful art museum. It's called the Muskegon Museum of Art. And for its size, I think it's one of the best in the country that I've ever visited. And I try to get to all of them. So let's head there today and find out what's happening today at the Muskegon Museum of Art. Let's bring in Christina Broughton. She is the director of marketing for that uh, wonderful museum, downtown Muskegon. How are you doing today, Christina? Good. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. How did you get into this world of art? Was it something that you came into as an artist or as a communicator, or how did that happen with you? Um, both, actually. So I went to college for marketing and for fine art. So um, I minored in studio art, and I majored in advertising and public relations. And so um, coming here to the art museum was kind of a, the best of both worlds type of situation. Uh, yep, so, a yeah. natural thing to do. And boy, you found a, a great one. The Muskegon Museum of Art is really well known, again, for such a relatively uh, small place. Tell us about the history of the Muskegon Museum of Art and and uh, maybe maybe sprinkle in some of the uh, well-known artists that are always on display there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Muskegon Museum of Art, we are going into our 111th year um, of being open. So um, we used to be called the Hackley Art Gallery, and it changed into the Muskegon Museum of Art. Um, and we have been an actively collecting museum since 1912. Wow. Um, and so since then, we have collected over 5,000 works of art. Um, Charles Hackley um, kind of made a pledge to say he wanted Muskegon to have pictures of the best kind. 
And um, that is what we have here at the Muskegon Museum of Art. And so um, we have some really well-known and notable artists, um, historical and contemporary. And um, so we have we have an Edward Hopper. Um, we have one of the only Edward Hoppers that's in a publicly viewable collection. Um, so the only one that you can see in a museum in the state of Michigan is here at the Muskegon Museum of Art. Um, we also have John Stuart Curry. He painted um, Tornado Over Kansas, oh, um, yes. which is a really, yes, iconic mm -hmm. um, painting. It used to be in the Webster's Dictionary right next to Tornado. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that hangs up on our wall every day of the year. Um, and we also have, um, if we want to move into the contemporary side, Andrea Coach um, is a very well-known contemporary artist from Detroit. Um, she's um, getting recognition on a worldwide level mm. right now. Wow. Um, and we own one of her paintings and soon to be a few more. So, um, so yeah, so we have a very, very reputable um, permanent collection here that is really comparable to a lot of others in the Midwest. And we are excited that these pieces of art called Muskegon Home. Well, the, the curators over the time uh, really knew what they were doing. And of course, they had uh, enough funding to get it done well, as you mentioned. Charles yeah. Hackley was very good to this art museum and to the community. And the collection really is fascinating. Seems like there's there's a pretty good collection of Dolly, if I remember right. Um, so a, a very eclectic collection, too. It's it's mm -hmm. really interesting. Now, there are a lot of shows you have coming up uh, this coming spring. Uh, Want to start uh, walking through some of those? Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, I'll start with a fun fact here, is that um, we run around 15 different rotating exhibitions a year. Um, and so we are constantly going through, we have all sorts of different, from regional artists to local artists to traveling exhibitions like last summer we had Dressing the Abbey. Um, but this spring, I guess I'll start with something that we recently just opened, um, it's called Golden Legacy, 80 Years of Original Art from the Little Golden Books. And so if you remember these, you know, those iconic books from your childhood that have the golden spine, we have um, 60 original illustrations from the Little Golden Book series. And we have everything, some really, really iconic ones, so Little Red Riding Hood, um, the... Uh, the Big Red Fire Engine, um, Home for a Bunny, The Pokey Puppy. So um, we have um, 60 of those illustrations, original illustrations, um, in immaculate condition um, upstairs in our galleries right now. Um, and wow. that's going on through April 30th. Sounds great. And, you know, you just bring uh, some of those uh, book titles uh, to memory now to think that those certainly are art pieces first before they get printed in, into a book cover. I'd never thought of it that way. So I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing that myself. Is this a traveling exhibit? Um, this is a traveling exhibit, and um, usually I believe it travels through different libraries. Um, so um, we have a, a, a decent-sized space to um, kind of just let it all display. Um, and then after us, it's going out to Denver. Got it. So um, yeah. after April 30th, we'll, it'll be traveling over to uh, Denver. Better see it while you can. Now, I, I hear you have another show called American Realism, Visions of America. When does that start yeah. and what is that really about? Yeah, so um, it's um, Visions of America starts May 11th. Um, and really it's taking... 
um, this art movement that we had in the early 1900s and is taking artists um, who um, kind of, they sought to define what American art was. Um, so at that time, there were a lot of artists that were practicing um, um, more of a, a Western European art style, and that's what was really influencing artists in America. But there was a certain select group of artists who were really dedicated to defining what is American art and how do we define life in America through our art. And so that is what American Realism Visions of America is. Um, and we are partnering with the Flint Institute of Art and the Kalamazoo Institute of Art, and we're borrowing some pieces from the Detroit Institute of Art. So this is kind of a statewide collaboration effort um, to bring some of these iconic pieces of art together into one exhibition. Um, so we have Edward Hopper, we have Reginald Marsh, we have Peggy Bacon, Rockwell Kent, mm. um, Alexander Calder. We have artwork wow. from some of these really well-known um, kind of household name artists um, from the 1900s through the 1950s. So it's artwork that was specifically created during that time period. Um, they're also known as Ashcan artists. Um, so, but again, it's really focusing on this new American art movement and, and capturing the lives, kind of the everyday lives of what American life was like. Um, and that show will also be traveling after. So it's going to start here at the Muskegon Museum of Art, um, and then it's going to go to Flint in September, and then it's going to premiere in Kalamazoo in January. So it's kind of going to be a traveling show just within um, Michigan, um, but these are all works that call Michigan home. Oh, fantastic. And you mentioned some of my favorite museums in the state as well. And I love the fact that you're all working together. I know you've been doing a Rising Voices series, and you have another mm -hmm. one coming up, the Bennett Prize. When does that start? So that starts May 18th, so just a week after the American Realism Show. Um, and that is a totally different kind of art exhibition. So it focuses on um, more contemporary art, specifically um, figurative realist painters. So the Bennett Prize is a juried art exhibition with the goal to propel the careers of women who specifically focus on figurative realist paintings. Um, and their goal is to really use their prize, because there is a $50,000 prize at the end, um, to, but in a traveling exhibition. Um, but they use it as a platform of recognition and empowerment for women artists. Great stuff. Can't wait to see it myself. The website is muskeganartmuseum.org. And our thanks to Christina Brotman for being with us today. That's all the time we have for Travel Michigan. We'll talk to you next week on Travel Michigan, where your trip begins at michigan.org. Let's go traveling. Let's go traveling.